The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today we have another reading from Marcus Aurelius, Book 4, Chapter 42, which is one sentence long, and that sentence is, Change. Nothing inherently bad in the process, nothing inherently good in the result. So, I had a flurry of thoughts when I read this. My first thought was that Judaism would disagree. Um, We obviously do hold that the universe is a universe of change, that things come into being and pass away, but we hold that that change is good. Um, And by we, I mean the Rambam. Um, The Rambam in the Mornavuchim, in his explanation of the ideas leading up to Eov, uh, talks about this a lot, um, and I'm just going to read two short passages. Obviously, there's a lot more here um, because this is wrapped up in the Ramam's whole idea of evil. Um, so the Ramam in the Mornavuchim, Guide for the Perplex 3.10, gives an interpretation of the Pasuk, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Ramam writes, Even the existence of this inferior matter whose manner of being it is to be inherently connected with privation, entailing death and all raos, all evils. All this is also good in view of the perpetuity of generation and the permanence of being through succession. For this reason, Rebbe Meir interpreted the words, and behold, it was very good, as, and behold, death was good, according to the notion to which we have drawn attention. And then later on, two chapters later in 312, uh, he references the same idea and says, We have already shown that in accordance with the divine wisdom, Genesis can only take place through destruction, and without the destruction of the individual members of the species, the species themselves would not exist permanently. Thus, the true kindness and beneficence of, and goodness of God is clear. Now, to really explain this, I'd have to go into uh, the Aristotelian premises that this Ramam is based on and then explain how we differ. But this is not the place. This podcast is not the place for that. So I'm just going to convey what I think is relevant in regards to Marcus Aurelius, okay, which is that we can't know why God created the universe. All we can do is look at it and uh, and look at the universe and look at the Torah and see what God's criteria are for good. So we, we see that throughout the account of Bracius, whenever God creates something that has quote-unquote permanent existence, um, then he, that's what he's referring to as good. So, for example, with the animal species, I guess maybe I'm getting a little, a little into Aristotle here, God does not call the individual animals good, but he calls, whenever he mentions their species, he says the species is good, because the species is that which perpetuates itself. Uh, same thing with the plants, um, and same thing with the universe as a whole. And that's the point that the Ramam is making here, which is that although the individual members of plants, animals, and human beings die and individual things come into being and pass away, the that is what allows these cycles of coming to being and pass away, passing away is what allows the universe as a whole to remain uh, in existence. And the and those the that the, the permanence of the laws of the universe is really good. And those laws are what entail destruction and uh, and corruption and change on a particular level. So the upshot of this being that the Ramam would say that to the contrary, it's not that nothing is inherently bad in the process and nothing is inherently good in the result. No, really, change is what allows for God to say that, behold, everything he made is very good. The fact that there is such change is what allows this dynamic universe that changes in all the particulars, but but allows the uh, the you know the the systems to persist. And, and that's that's really the goodness. 
Okay, again, it's it's frustrating for me to cut short my explanation. I mean, this is really tied to all my EOF Shirim, which you can find on uh, on YouTube if you're really interested. <laughs> uh, mini Shirim. Anyway, so the second thought I had had to do with Kohelas, and it had to do with Sforno's approach to Kohelas, which is going to be hard for me to talk about for two reasons. One is I haven't learned Sforno's approach past the first uh, half of the first chapter. And secondly, second, the... Uh, um, the Sforno on Kohelas that is not available online, as far as I could tell, and my copy of it is in New York, so I, I can't even read it to you. I'll just recall. So the argument he makes there is that um, when Kohelas says that everything under the heavens is hevel, is uh, is futile, he says, he kind of flips the Ramam's idea on its head and says, you know, you have all of these these magnificent laws of nature, and what are they doing? They're producing things that don't last. So he would say that all of the change, and again, I don't know if this is his conclusion uh, in Kohalas, because uh, I haven't learned the Sporno on Kohalas in its entirety, but the question, at least, that Kohalas poses is that in, in, you, know, you have these magnificent laws of nature, and they are eternal, or they're, you know, they, they're everlasting, and they're producing this inferior product. So he would say all the change seems to be inherently bad or hevel or rus ruach, you know, that's these cycles that just end in, in particular things, uh, uh, ceasing to exist. So that was my second thought again, half thought, uh, but just something for, for consideration. So then I started thinking about what the Stoics would say. And, um, I, I, my mind went to Epictetus in the Enchiridion, where, uh, again, it's not just Epictetus, but Epictetus talks a lot about impressions and about how, we need to guard against uh, the impressions and distinguish between what is actually happening and what we feel or imagine is happening. So let me just quote this from the Enchiridion from chapter one, uh, section five. He says, so this is after after talking about the fact that everything is divided into things we can and can't control. He says, straight away then, train yourself to say to every unpleasant impression, you are an impression and by no means what you appear to be. Then examine it and test it by the rules you have, first in this way especially by asking whether it concerns things that are in our power or things that are not in our power, and if it concerns something not in our power, have ready to hand the answer, this is nothing to me. So in plain English, what that means is whenever something happens to you and you have an impression from it, meaning this is bad or this is disastrous or this is harmful or even this is good and this is beneficial, you should stop and ask, does this concern things that are in my power? If it does, so then that change, if that changes within your power, so then now it's in the realm of good and bad. But if it's not in your power, then you should say this is nothing to me. And if we assume that Marcus Aurelius agrees with that, which I do assume he agrees with because uh, of everything I've read from him, <laughs> then when he's talking about change here, he's not talking about change that you are in control of. There he would say that if you're in control of the change, then that is exactly where the realm of good and bad lies. So the unstated assumption here is he's talking about change that's outside of your control. And if it's outside of your control, then there's nothing inherently good or bad about it. And the reason why the word inherently is important is because obviously all even things that are outside of your control, you can respond to. So it can be an impetus for good or bad decisions, but it itself is not good or bad. So that was my thought in terms of the Stoic framework. But then the last thought I had, mostly because of the mindfulness work that I've been doing over the summer, and then this book I'm reading now um, entitled Already Free by Bruce Tift, which is about um, the, the relationship between Western psychotherapy and 
and and Buddhism, um, both how, how both of them approach suffering. So one of the ideas that that Tift writes about a lot is the fact that we live in this world of constant change, but then we create narratives or stories about that. And most of the stories have ourselves as the main character. So he writes about this a lot, but I, I selected two passages uh, that, that really uh, articulate this very well. So he says, at first, our perception of reality has an opaqueness or solidity to it. We have a sense that the world is reflecting back something about ourself. We unconsciously relate to almost everything in terms of how it might affect us as positive, negative, or neutral. This constant self-referral feeds an ongoing drama about how we're doing, whether we'll get what we want, whether we're safe, and so on. This chronic self-absorption supports the sense of being a significant self, the center of the universe, a self we must protect. And then later on, he writes, beneath the stories we tell is our tendency to continually add self-referential commentaries to whatever we may be experiencing. We challenge this level of our disconnection practice by removing any claim that our experience is about us. This is a strange idea to many of us, but as we become less identified with our interpretations about our experience and participate more in our experience, we may find no inherent evidence that anything we experience is actually about us. So let me translate that into English according to my current understanding here, is that a lot of these, these mindfulness practices focus on just maintaining awareness and presence and allowing yourself to experience what is happening in your body, in the world around you, and to do so without imposing your own narratives onto it, your own stories. And and what I like about Tiff's um, framing of this is that there's really two things going on. There's, there's weaving stories about what we're experiencing instead of just experiencing it, but then there's also having self ref making these stories self-referential all in terms of the self in terms of this is happening to me so for example you know if you're sitting uh down and you feel cold you know or you feel pain or you feel heat or you hear something annoying so instead of just noting the change and not placing a value judgment on it as good or bad we tend to create these stories of, oh, cold is bad or pain is harmful or or mosquito buzzing is annoying. And all of these value judgments that we impose on it really have to do with ourselves as the reference point. So from that standpoint, then I think Marcus Aurelius is, I mean, whether he's doing this <laughs> intentionally or not, or if this is just a coincidence in terms of the way he is phrasing it, the way he says change and nothing inherently bad in the process, nothing inherently good in the result is a good mentality for, for maintaining mindfulness where you're just focusing on the fact that these, that, that I'm in a world of changing sensations or I'm in a world of changing phenomena and not engaging in value judgments and not imposing your own self as the reference point for everything. And again, the, the, the mindful practices that mindfulness practices that I've done mostly through Tara Brock and then earlier uh, a couple of years ago through uh, Headspace, Andy, whatever his name is. Um, and uh, they, they try to promote the habit of when you catch yourself engaging in these stories to just name, name what you're doing. So for example, if you are sitting there meditating and you start to notice yourself thinking about what you're going to do later on in the day, then you just say, planning, planning, or, or worrying, worrying, or thinking, thinking, you know, or, uh, you know, just basically naming 
the activity that you've slipped into and then using that as a way to bounce back into or, or relax back into the the experience of just changing the changing uh, sensations of the of the of the body and the physical world around you. So those were my thoughts. That's what I meant when I said it was a flurry of thoughts. Uh, I Again, I, I think in terms of what Marcus Aurelius meant, it's probably what Epictetus helped us to figure out. But these other thoughts are are all true in their own ways <laughs> um, uh, and just happen to line up with the words. So whether you say that this is the shot or the drush of what Marcus Aurelius was saying, uh, I'll leave that up to you to decide. That's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss. My Zelle and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnaywise.gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone. And uh, just one more reminder here. This is going to be posted on a Friday. And uh, on Friday the 20th, um, I will, God willing, be off the grid for the following week. So from from Monday the 23rd through Friday the 27th. So there will not be any episodes uploaded then. So if you're uh if you need some time to catch up on old episodes, this will be a good time to do it. Alrighty. Have a good day.